You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters, podcast number 38, where I am joined, as always, of Christian Graffin and Gregory Yeroshadets. Boys, how are you doing today? Huh? Huh? Not too shabby. Not too shabby. I didn't throw the nickname this time around. Greg, I'll give you the Cypriot Assassin, self-proclaimed sport doctor. Thank you. Self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. So um, we have a ton of topics to get to. We're going to break it down in four quarters as opposed to sort of the, uh, the hodgepodge of conversations that we've had the last 37 podcasts. So the first quarter is obviously going to be the Raptors roundup. Second quarter, trending NBA topics. Third quarter will be kind of a discussion of Canada's participation in the FIBA Americas qualifiers. And the fourth quarter will be rounding out the top 10 draft this upcoming year. Um, I don't know if you guys have an opportunity to check out other podcasts because obviously you're listening to this one because it's the best. Just kidding. But beyond no, it is. It's the best. It's the best in the city. <laughs> There's a ton more podcasts out there, specifically the Low Post, Zach Lowe's podcast on ESPN, which I think is the best basketball podcast out there. And you have the opportunity to speak with former GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers, David Griffin, who was sort of talking about the Toronto Raptors and how much he's enjoying mm-hmm. this team, the evolution of the organization. We'll listen to that clip right here. Or Fred Van Vliet. Or, well, that, know, kid, that kid is good, man. How did he go undrafted? What was the – he's too short, he's not fast, he can't shoot, but all those things are – He's overcoming all of that. I think you just named all of the reasons That's what he it went is. undrafted. Okay. But right. I, I do think the, you know, Della Vadova went undrafted as well. That's right. And was really, really a big deal for us in terms of being about all the right things. Oftentimes what happens now, I think, with these guys that are four-year college players that play in a really difficult, grit-filled environment and they get there because they're chronic overachievers, that ethos becomes something that your team has to have. And so he he infected that group with that. And because he did, the coaches liked him enough to let him keep growing and evolving. And because he doesn't know any limits, because he doesn't have an off button, he gets to the situation now where he's closing the fourth quarter of games. And if you're a Toronto fan, you probably miss Fred when he's off the court. Former Cavs GM throwing some love to the Toronto Raptors, the number one in the East Toronto Raptors. Numero uno. Numero yeah, no, uno. I, I love it. He was a great GM as well, I thought, for the Cavs. So to get praise like that from someone of that, and not to mention praise for the Raptors, he's specifically talking about Van Vliet and how, how well he's established himself into the Raptors. And I don't know if you guys read it as well, but uh, Eric Kareen wrote an article on The Athletic, and it was all about pretty much the background of Van Vliet and where he's come from, from Wichita State, and how he's had this chip on his shoulder going undrafted and how much it sort of helped him sort of become no, a player very, he is. No, very humbling beginning. Uh, I had a buddy who was just kind of mentioning that he served Fred Van Vliet um, and just only had positive things to say about him, like a very respectful, down-to-earth, you know, it's a very friendly guy, ambassador of the game in Toronto and basketball. Um, and just more of a testament to the scouting of the Toronto Raptors. You know, like obviously we've been drafting in the latter half of the first round the last couple of years. Um, 
you know, just being able to you know find these like hidden late gems, even like DeLon Wright, like OG Ananobi last year, even getting Fran Van Vliet, Norman Powell in the second round. It it's also that it's not just that we've drafted for for gems, as you say. It's that we've drafted strategically to fit our culture, right? And this is the benefit of having a coach that's been there long enough to actually have a say in how he wants the team to to develop, right? They drafted basically the best defenders that they could. That's why they got two guys from Utah. That's why they got Pascal Siakam. And the result is a young, athletic second unit that can get after it and can run with the best of them. And I think all the credit goes to Dan Tolzman. Uh, the assistant GM who basically looks over everything Raptors 905, but also is a head scout for us. And he's one of those players, one of those guys, sorry, that will go out and and see players like Van Vliet and sort of see someone. I think the one thing that they mentioned, or that Dan Tolzman specifically mentioned as a player comp for Van Vliet was J.J. Barea. Um, when he was in university still, he was coming out and he said, why can't he be that kind of player? He was a player who could never be trapped. He would always out-dribble himself out of everything. But again, it was always the size. That was sort of the main issue. But again, if he sort of was able to do that and come around and be a little bit more mature, which he always sort of has had that, he's had that maturity and to be cool as a cucumber, so to speak, that, that's helped Van Vliet so much, I think. And it's helped the Raptors as well. What's well, the significance the- of the G League as well? You know what I mean? Just being able to have this, this sort of league to, to nurture and develop you know, these players, right? Yeah, There's so many key. instances where second-round picks, yep. especially within the last you know, decade or so, are like a second-round pick's nothing. You know, that, that player's not going to come in. Like, the, the very few Manu Ginobili's you get every once in a while, but you know, just being able to put them in the G League and wait a couple years on them and see how they evolve as a player is kind of an interesting thing to it builds I, chemistry, too. Like, look at Siakam, Pirtle, and Van Vliet. When they're on the court together, you can just tell they've been playing for the last two years. They know each other's tendencies. Also, yeah. like, being in Toronto, playing for the Toronto 9 5 and sort of, like, feeling the Toronto basketball atmosphere, like, living in the city, you know, understanding how the the, 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 the intrinsic nature of what defines the city and what makes it great, like, the multiculturalism, you know, just knowing yeah. the city as well and just, like, but loving But they're the all city, multicultural, right? yeah. to your point, right? They're all multicultural. That's another interesting point. And I really see Masai Ujiri's fingerprints all over them as well, right? Like you think of Ananobi, you think of Siakam, think of uh, Pirtle, right? You got guys from all over the world jumping in here and playing. It's amazing. Absolutely. All right, moving down the list. Actually, keeping this list up. Well, I guess we'll say that, keeping the list up. All right, Raptors roundup. Uh, Monday night, big win against the Detroit Pistons. Unfortunate loss to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks on Friday. Um I guess last night we beat the Orlando Magic. Guys, what are your biggest takeaways from this week of basketball? Well, I thought that that Bucks game, JV got fouled on the last play. He did. Ooh. That, that, that's my. That's not even a hot take. I think that most people in Toronto thought that. I, I read the league or whatever, the last two-minute last two minutes the report. Last two minute report. It didn't say a foul. It, it, they said that there was no foul on that play. So I, I still don't understand these reports. I mean, what's the point of them if they're not even getting those right? Because if you look at the replay, it's pretty clear he was fouled. Crystal clear. On, on that play. And um, another one. There was another play that he got fouled. I agree. Uh, the only point is with the Bucks game, I guess, they played really poorly the whole mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. They, they were lucky to be sort of in that position they were. They were up. And I guess the other takeaway I have is Giannis can freaking shoot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a guy now who can – he's had a lot of step-back shots. Uh, in overtime, he had a big two-point step-back. He, he's, like, he's not afraid anymore to take that shot, and it's not even hitting the rim. He's hitting swishes. I was like about a team we struggled with last year. You know, they got Eric Bledsoe this year and obviously had the healthy Jabari Parker. 
who's been be, killing it lately. Exactly. This might be a scary, scary team, like a team you may not want to I mentioned to face. this last week. I don't want to face the Bucks in the playoffs. This is one of the scariest team for the Raptors. I'm, I'm honestly not. I don't think they can beat us. I mean, Jabari Parker looked good. I still don't think they can beat us because John Henson just doesn't cut it for me. I think he was fouling all game. And they just weren't calling it. And a lot of the Raptors, like specifically JV, looked like he was still on vacation. He had his tan. You know, it was come. They were coming back from that break, but no excuse. Like, there's a few letdowns that the team has had on these big games, like these statement games, like the comeback uh, after All Star break games. Like Jack was talking about this on air. These are if you're serious about contending, if you're serious about winning, you got to get those marquee games. I agree. I mean, well, last night was a good example against against Orlando and I think they were one point away if they won by 15 points they would have set the record in February for the biggest point differential in NBA history in a month I blame the refs they called a foul on Lowry in the last possession and Herzonia hit a free throw Mario (laughs) he did that's what happened on on a side note Mario Herzonia being like a decent rotation player no he's good might be like the small highlight of the season for me Top five pick, like I just like like what like I loved Mario coming out of Europe. Like he was so like opposite toward like what you think a European player is. Like yeah. he's very athletic, you know, flashy, driving the lane, like dunking over people. I just really wanted Mar- Mario to. Excel. He had a double clutch reverse in that game with with, with Ibaka chasing him down, and he he's managed like to get it off. He's the most athletic European basketball player of all time. I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> Rudy Fernandez. Rudy. In 19 minutes, he had 17 points. So there you go. Like he was just out there. No, he being can fill efficient. it up. He was being I would efficient. love to have a guy like that coming off our bench instead of Norman Powell. Oh, Eleven minutes, no points last night. Oh, rough game same for Norman. Old, same. Hey, but you know, I was thinking about it, Brandon. You made this point a few weeks ago. It's a not a bad insurance policy. So you see, OG went down, mm-hmm. and you know, to ha- be to not have to compromise your second unit and to be able to just put him in there with the starters and have it click and flow. See, that's that's actually a question I was going to ask you guys. Do you think that? Now that OG, if let's just say he is injured for a couple games, do you think it should be Powell or do you think it should be Miles that goes into the starting lineup? I think Norman Powell, especially the latter half of the season, is getting his legs back and getting him into the rhythm of the game and getting the chemistry back. You know, we, we we're, we're going to make the playoffs. You know, obviously we were mm-hmm. pining to get the number one seed, but just having Norman Powell to get a couple reps and playing time, get into playing rhythm, like I was mentioning. I just don't think it's again. Like, I was we have nothing this to earlier. lose putting Norman Powell. With I don't want to break but up the second lot, unit graph. He'll still get a lot of minutes though with the second unit. It's just I don't know. It's not. I don't want to break up that second unit. Man, it's a confidence thing playing with the big fish on the team, playing with DeRozan, playing with Lowry. We saw a blast game, Pirtle, in the Magic game. Pirtle started. He was there with the starting unit for a good chunk of it, and he mm-hmm. did really, really, really mm-hmm. well. It's just you never know if it, that's the look that we might go to now in the playoffs. If we do the same thing with CJ. I think it's something that we might want. Moving down to general NBA discussion, I guess we'll call this the second quarter. Unfortunately, i got to think of a new way to rebrand this. Uh, it sounds incredibly cheesy. But anyways, trending NBA topics, the number one thing I want to bring up, we're just past the 60-game mark for the NBA season. Obviously, people are having MVP discussion right now. The biggest name out there is obviously James Harden, but there's multiple guys out there that could be in consideration for the award, namely LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who's been a revelation since Ant- or Marcus Cousins went down with injury. Have you watched the Pelicans play 
since Boogie went down. Oh, the yeah. Three, they've been just jacking up three-pointers. Their pace is insane. It's Greg's favorite team. Oh, I've been really impressed by uh, Davis. Like, I, I knew he had this gear, but I hadn't seen it over the past, like, year because he kept on getting injured. But now with Boogie going down, he was kind of His forced. His style is ridiculous. It's like 35 and 15 every single night since Boogie went down. No, he's, he's like Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain numbers, man. Like, yeah, it's legit. Yeah. But, look... J- after James Harden got that 60-point triple-double, to me, there's really no more MVP See, the race. Question I ask He's on an also, island right but now. What's, what's the criteria for you guys determining who is the MVP? Like, what is the MVP? Usually, it's the best player on the best team. So, best player and best team? But that... Which is, right now, James Harden. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's what to me like, and considering what he's like his stats. So he's not just the best player, but like his stat, he has like all uh, all NBA level stats. Mm-hmm. And again, that sixty point triple double to me, I was watching that game. I was, and that was in a close game. But right that after that, it was done to me. I, th- I think Russell Westbrook set sort of the precedent that if you're gonna become an MVP on a team that's in sort of the late, latter half of yeah. you know the playoff that's race, a rare that's a rare you better be breaking records yeah ex- it's pretty exactly. much the only way you can see get the way it. I view it though MVP in my opinion is a person that if this player did not play for said organization how would that team thrive or how good would that team be in general I look at the Cleveland Cavaliers for example that team was in turmoil obviously in the start of the season you had Dwayne Wade you know Isaiah Thomas etc offloaded all those players and brought in guys are more cohesive to creating one sort of synonymous unit. LeBron's my MVP this year. You take LeBron off that team, that team is not even a playoff contender. In but the how are you going to give MVP to a guy that stopped trying? And like that's what happened. Like I watched, I've watched every single Cavs game. I wouldn't necessarily say it's not trying. I no, would he say stopped it's, trying. Let, let's say let's say LeBron's capabilities as a basketball player at let's say it's a hundred percent. He's a one thirty percent guy. He was giving a hundred percent. He wasn't giving that absurd thirty percent he gives every single night. Yeah, you know what he I mean? wasn't giving the I extra efforts, up, but he wasn't giving the extra effort. No, and and I understand from his perspective, he's trying to send a message. Because I remember even on his podcast, we're talking about the the castle, like something's not right. Yeah, but how do you stay motivated as a player when you go to the finals every single season? You literally don't get a break. It's just so yeah. mentally draining. I understand and that, then, but and then you're on this team where no I one gets a that. flying but, fuck about uh, but playing the, defense. But the thing is, it also affected like a his stats, b the winning of his team. Right? I, I think if you're well, a legit, he's having the best season of his career. No, but but if you're a legit. MVP candidate, I think you have to be like on the top. Like it's like how Carl Malone won the MVP in '98, right? Because the Jazz were like a 60-something win team, and he was this, and he was the leading scorer in the league. If Harden's the leading scorer in the league, and his team has the has the best record, it's hard to deny the guy, especially because there is a precedent. Like he came close the last few years, right? Right. But what about like Kevin Durant, for example? Like we're talking about a no, guy in the because Curry's team. on the team. And Draymond, Kevin Durant's in consideration for defensive player in the year. And I think at a certain point in the season, I think he's still top five. He was leading the league in blocks. Like just how he's know, not. He's not anymore. People don't. He was. I know what you mean. He's still top five but blocks I, per game. But yeah, but he's still you're dropping ta- twenty five points per game. Like how can he not be in discussions? It's, it's a Kawhi Leonard thing. If your criteria though is if you can take somebody off the team, would that team be bad? And well, Houston, in for that example, sense, take James Harden off that team, they still have Chris Paul. No, I know, but I'm just saying, in that sense, the Warriors have won a championship without Durant. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's hard to say that he's an MVP. No, when... I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying Durant's my MVP. I'm no, just Anthony, by your logic, Anthony Davis would be probably the no, MVP. By because your you logic... take him off that team, they're a D-League team. 
I don't know. You, assuming boogies, uh, you know, also. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Which, which is hard because then, you See, know, I, that's is, a hard one. The, the thing that, like, frustrates me the most about this conversation is just the ongoing rampant lack of respect you show to the man himself, Etwan Moore. I'm tired of the shit <laughs> that I had up here with it. That man would carry that organization on his back and lead them to the promised land. They should rename. They should name the the O'Brien Award the the Etwan Moore Award. Etwan okay, Moore that, Award. That's the way I view it. All right, moving down the list. What about the Rose? Sorry, MVP. No love. I, I I like as a homer. I think his name should be thrown in consideration, but I don't think he should be. Because yo, our record, right? Like, best player on the best team in the East. That's what I'm saying. Just saying, you know. Yeah. If Isaiah Thomas got that love. Yeah. No, I agree. Hey, look, by, by your logic, though, Brandon, LeBron James is the MVP every single season. That that's the only issue with it. Yeah, and he should be MVP every single and season. I, All I right, moving down the list. All right, so make some sense of the playoff picture. Um, I think everything's kind of shaping up. Detroit has been absolutely horrendous with the uh, acquisition of Blake Griffin. I think even myself was sort of thinking that they might be able to jump past Miami in the Eastern Conference, but I think it's sound to say right now Miami 32 and 29, Pistons 29 and 32. Miami, you're locked for eighth. I think uh, what he are 32 29, Bucks 33 28. 76 is 32-27 is basically how it's going to shape up come playoff time. I don't know. I think the Pacers could drop. I think the Bucks could go up. Um, Wizards might drop because I think it's going to catch up to the Wizards eventually where without, you know, being playing without John Wall. I don't know. I could, it's just such a tight race. Like, you know, it's still. Don't sleep on the Hornets. They've been playing really well. The Hornets? Yeah. They've been playing really well. They're just. They've been underachieving all season to me. They're a, they're a little too far back, I'd say. You got to be plus five hundred to be in this. Well, there's certain teams above, like, like the take a Palooza teams at the bottom. You know, you got the Hornets twenty eight thirty four, Pistons as I mentioned twenty nine thirty two. I think the Heat are going to drop three and seven in the last ten. Um, I know Detroit's been absolutely horrendous in the last ten four and six with Blake Griffin. I can just see Detroit jumping past Miami. I don't know. I I, I know you should never doubt Spolstra and you know that team when they need to play they they, they show up to the games. But I don't know. I I wouldn't throw. I wouldn't give up on the Pistons. You Here, know what? Though, they looked awful the other night. Yeah, you said you said this. You like the Pistons, and honestly, they, I don't like the Pistons. Yo, they are so not. Blake, yo, do you I see Blake Griffin like, like trying to like start? Like, he's such a sh- uh, shit disturber, that guy, man. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he clearly pushes Pirtle, and then uh, Van, uh, Fred comes in, Van Vliet comes in, and, he, and he's like, "Yo, man, you don't have to push." Right, just relax. And he's like, "What are you talking?" And he can read his lips. Like, "What are you talking about, bro? I didn't fucking push him. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Get off me, bro!" Like. What's his problem, man? He's always trying to pick fights, this guy. Mr. $35 million. You know how much money John Wall's going to make in 2022? $47 million. I can't stand oh. watching John Wall on the sidelines in sun. Like, try to look more uh, uninvolved and, and, and uninvested in your team. He sits there with sunglasses on. He Like, how can you watch your team in sunglasses? He's trying to look cool. He's trying to look <laughs> like he doesn't care. All right, moving to the Western Conference. Douche! Clippers currently in the eighth seed with 32-27 and 27 record. I think it's a lock for OKC and the Pelicans, 36-27. Pelicans, 35-26. and 26. So I guess it's going to come down to the eighth seed. Nuggets right behind them, 33-28, and 28, about a half game oh. behind. Jazz are right there as well, 31-30. and 8-2 in the last time Brandon. with a massive win streak. I'm still going to go with Denver. Denver lost. Oh, whatever. Okay, I'm going to Denver. Denver's They're playing my team fantastic. Denver is playing fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You were you were right about them. I don't know about the Jazz. I don't think the Jazz are going to get in. I think it's too little, too late for them. I really like the Jazz. I mean, again, I like them too because they were surging with Donovan Mitchell playing really well. And but he's a rookie. How much can you really rely on a rookie? You know? I know. I mean, for me, I guess 
the the one sleeper team I guess is kind of the Clippers because they can they, they beat the Nuggets last night or a couple nights ago. Sorry, I watched the game and they kept up. Like you look at Tobias Harris, Lou Williams, like all all these players out there for them that are still contributing. And I don't know, DeAndre Jordan's still doing his thing. Uh, the Clippers could be the sleeper pick the here. The Clippers that- are very well coached. I mean, I know people I hate, hate on no, no, Doug. No, no, it's not just him. <laughs> it's his coaching staff. He has a lot of veteran coaches, right? Like, just wa- seeing how they've managed to keep themselves afloat. You can't do this this year with all the turnover if they weren't well coached, outside of what your opinion may be on Mr. Rivers. That is terrible. <laughs> what about the Thunder? What do you guys think about the Thunder? I can't believe, like, I, I can't we'll be believe seventh. we would be having this discussion this season, though. Like, I, I, obviously, everyone was thinking the OKC okay, would be a contender. They're currently sitting seventh in the Western Conference behind the Portland Trailblazers, the New Orleans Pelicans, 36 yeah. and 27. Carmelo Anthony, like, was New York, right? Let's like, Carmelo Anthony looks like a cadaver on the court every single night. Well, I think that's like, okay. would you would you take Cantor over Carmelo Anthony today? Well, that and the fact that that you could ask that question signifies <laughs> the decline in in Mello. I okay. I of course watched a lot of their games. I watched the one against um, uh, the Warriors the other night. I know the scoreline ended up being Warriors by whatever it was, fifteen twenty. But let me tell you, there was a point in the third quarter when it was tied up. Stephen Adams was dominating inside. The game was going just the way that the, that that the Thunder wanted. They went on a little run. Then Zaza. Fell on Westbrook. Westbrook leaves the game. They go on a run, and they ended up extending it. If you're the Thunder, you're uh, like I, I see the Thunder beating them in the next game in OKC. I really do. This team has beaten the Thunder. Have beaten the best teams in the league. They're four and one, or, four, or five and two against the best teams in the league. They're a team that has to get up for games. I mean, they lost to Golden State recently. They lost to the Cavs recently. It's it, I, I don't know. They're they're, They're inconsistent. That, yeah, and I feel like, again, like Russell Westbrook goes so hard in the regular season. Carmelo Anthony's a little bit old. Uh, like, I love Paul George, but I think in the playoffs, you're going to kind of see the the decline a little bit. You know I don't what? Think they're going to go we far, especially face the Warriors. They're going to face the Warriors right now in the first round. That's a, that, like, I would love that, to see that. 2-7? Absolutely. That's going to be the, the best series, probably, in, in the uh. first round. And uh, Like, did you see the beef? The beat between uh, uh, Draymond and, and Anthony? I love that. Yeah. No, okay, but you know what? Uh, we were I was hating on him earlier in the year. Andre Robertson, when they had him, their defense was a next-level defense. Now it looks, you know, permeable, right? I actually think they do miss him. Then there's no replacement for him. All right, guys, moving down the list, last topic for NBA discussion. Obviously, uh, NBA draft eligibility has been in the news. You know, mm-hmm. there's been multiple stories circul- circulating around that. You know, obviously the NCAA uh, scandal at Arizona, um, just the fraudulence of the NCAA in general, the first-year eligibility, just there's so many convoluted moving spokes in this conversation. So I'll keep it plain and simple. Um, should players be allowed to jump in the NBA after completion of high school? Should they have to take a year off, or should they play two years in college prior to jumping toward the NBA or jumping to the NBA? I I think it's it's a complicated issue. I will say that I've long said that the NCAA's indentured servitude guys this opportunity, right? Like free education, these guys are majoring in you know communications, right? Not going to class to make money for the university. And if you watch these Stop games, disparaging communication degrees again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> not. Tom. What, what I'm saying, <laughs> you know, I say that, and of course, you know, I don't want to 
Bash communications. I, I don't. I really don't. But you know, you or, or African you. studies or something. They'll you know, or home ec. They'll pick something. Right. My point is, they they don't take the uh, degrees that will actually afford them with opportunities outside a of basketball. Examination of nine hundred two and zero. Yeah. There you go. Right. But so just to say, I think that model. Uh, it's on the decline. You see how all the money is involved and mm. changing hands. And the NCAA to act like they didn't know that all this was happening. And the is whole thing is bullshit. like, well, you got, you got the opportunity to get a unique experience at college. It's like, what are you fucking U.S. Doing? education is grossly overpriced for what they're getting mm-hmm. in the first place. Okay, and which in other countries is completely free, right? And most of these guys aren't aren't going there for school. They're going there to become professional basketball players, and they're treated as professional basketball players. Here's the thing: they should have a union. Right, and they've tried to form unions. They just keep getting crushed by the power of the NCAA. Right, you saw this with the Northwestern football team last year. Quickly, to I think that a, a, an eighteen-year-old or a nineteen-year-old in the NBA presents certain problems. I think that there you get teams that are picking guys that can't even make a real impact in the league, and they shouldn't be in the league. And then you get like the well, Kwame Browns well, the of the world. You, the question I have for you is why, in other professional sports, namely hockey, for example. Is a kid allowed to go into the professional ranks at the age of 18, but NBA for some apparent reason? Well, not. no, and, and, like, and, obvi- and that's it. So in Europe, right, how they have it, right? But it's a much better model, I think, because you actually have the, these pro clubs that will take a guy in at, at 16 and kind of develop him, is right? It, but, he doesn't go ra- ra- but do you think it's a racially based restriction? In my in, like, is, well, is that, ra- I mean, race is race certainly. Okay, again, I'm going to say this. I don't think you, so. You watch a, Kentucky, watch a Kentucky game and look who is in the stands and look who's playing and look where it is race is involved in this i'm not i, I can't you know i don't know to what degree and how mm-hmm. i don't want to but race is there um if so so quickly my solution would yeah probably be what lebron said extending the g league and most of these guys wouldn't be able to, if you had the g league the teams wouldn't be drafting guys and, and sitting them as a 12th man on, on the bench or trying to get them playing time in the nba and they're not ready which is hurting the game mm-hmm. you could actually develop them with your farm teams look i think in an, in an ideal world the best situation would be if they could be paid when they're in school and then you, and then just a the, modest, yes, a, just a, a living basically, like, or but, like enough to survive, and then force them maybe to stay in school for two or three years, because that way, it's kind of like more like the football model, in the sense that you have to be at least like a, a junior or a senior to sort of get drafted. You'll the chances of you staying in school for one year, like the one and dones, for mm-hmm. instance, you're right. Those they're, players, they're not, they're not, their heads aren't in school. They know they just have to be there for one year, and then they're getting drafted. What do you but the vast majority of experience, so playing basketball on the collegiate level for one year, like what do you think from the, I guess like, I guess David served a time or Adam Silver, like why would they want a kid play one year in college? Well, like what do you, what do they goes, gain from the experience? But that goes to my point is that they they should be having an education in the ideal world. In Adam Silver's mind, in that one year, they're gonna learn enough and do kind of what like Marcus Stroman did yeah, would the, do. The, oh, they're back, not, they're not go back eventually. Year, man. But that's my point is if you first years don't if you sort of ridiculous, they're not going back and completing their degree. No, <laughs> if you force them though to stay in school a little bit longer, would the chances of that not go a little bit higher? And wouldn't that be the whole point of the whole system is for them to stay in school a little bit longer actually use that education a little bit better while getting paid enough to not have to starve and not have to you know fight for everything the ncaa is making enough money they have enough money to do this they just had a contract with some tv station for a billion dollars a year for the next 15 years oh yeah so it's nothing on them honestly and they've been profiting for the last 15 years but if you're going to talk about the kit like the student the student athlete Mm -hmm. 
you have to give them a chance in school. If there's a one-and-done rule or a high school and you don't give them the option to go to school, they won't even think about it. If you kind of force them into it, but also make the situation ideal yeah. where they can still live, yeah. I think that's the most ideal situation. Yeah, uh, you know, but the issue is, would, would this you know massive conservative institution accept something which is collective bargaining, right? Which to them is like socialism. Uh, but, but, okay, here's the thing. If I was a player, I'm... Okay, you know, you you know now you're healthy. You don't want to be someone that that goes and spends two years at Duke, ends up tearing your ACL or whatever, and now you can't make money, right? I would, if I was one of those players, I might just go play in China or do what Moody did, right? More or or, or Europe for a year, because then at least you're making money and you're gaining pro experience. But you can also get injured, like that. that isn't no, but, that the? But only- you're making money though. Like you actually make not not subsistence living you're making pro money but that would be the that would be the choice now a kid has do i want to go to duke for at least 2 years and you know play basketball still at a high level well getting somewhat paid not as much as i would in europe or china but yeah. at least i'll have a little bit of an education to back you know what i mean like that's the choice they're going to have to make if in my sort of ideal scenario I think like playing in China would be it's more tough. of an educational experience than playing in one year at Kentucky. Like I'm not quite yeah, sure about <laughs> yeah, the life experience. One year, I agree because one year they don't care. Like, yeah. even, like I don't know how you would beekeeping. But if you I don't know how you would like, implement this though, like like at the OHL for example, like special standing for specific you know outliers, certain players. You know, like at 16, they can join the OHL because they have this sort of. Yeah, history exactly. Of, of performance, you know, maybe reclassifying prospects, and certain guys are in a certain pool can go from high school to the NBA. I, I don't know how you would define that skill set, but like DeAndre Aiden, for example, the guy's like seven foot one, two fifty five. He's been that big for a while. That guy realistically could be an NBA player at the age of sixteen. You know, I don't know how you would do but, that. But obviously the G League, I think, would serve as a good. Like farm league for players like that. Well, what about like soccer, for example? You had these like youth camps, like kids sign at yeah. thirteen, but like you know, like they had these like mandatory study no, sessions. But the way, okay, but but that's what I'm saying. That's the European model for basketball is mm-hmm. the same that they do it in soccer. But because of the NCAA, right, and the way that that American basketball works, it kind of um, stops that from happening. But that to me is the more organic way. Where at, at the age of uh, about sixteen, then you can start really thinking about going pro yeah but you're also placed in a situation where like maybe your parents really really want to be a professional athlete and you're forced to play like i don't know it's there, there's so many moving parts with it it's a very difficult thing to no, address but, but no kid is gonna there's go- definitely options and so i think it's what we're trying to get at right yeah no but no kid is going to be accepted onto a pro team at 16 if there's not a real legit shot of them becoming a professional right, right, basketball right. player like like very few would actually get that chance right and that's what and, and that's where the farm system could be of help I just my last point I guess quickly is majority of players who play in the NCAA obviously do not make the pros anywhere. They don't make it to the to the NBA. They don't make good money. There is life after basketball. The goal should be to get them educated as much as possible so they're actually humans that are, sure. are capable. No, as but how to many of them though are struggling going to school players. with that dream and focusing almost exclusively on that and training three times a day, playing at you know maybe a good school but not a great school, and well, because of that now they've missed out on their education you know what I, I mean like they're so focused on basketball the last thing I'm gonna leave with you guys with is I read a great book by Jonathan Abrams it's called boys before men it's talking about you know from from high school to the NBA um, and the examples of situations where guys who went to the NBA and, re- and, and didn't get drafted or second round picks or guys who just weren't gonna make it 
it, it was all these fucking like voices in their ear, like all the these the scouts and all these not scouts, sorry, but like agents. They're vulnerable, and all these like family members and cousins and people just in their ear telling them like you got it, you got it, you got it, and it just maybe more nurturing environment playing in college would be beneficial in the long run. This no, but not this college environment, not not the college environment where people are like you know giving you money under the table and like bookkeepers, like the blue chips. You guys seen the movie Blue Chips? Nick Nolte. Yeah, right. <laughs> like uh, that's not. A nurturing, you know, a nurturing environment. That's a big time business where you're being exploited. All right, guys, let's take a quick, quick break. We're back. Already uh, talking about basketball beyond the NBA, uh, Canada is currently playing in the uh, America's qualifier for the uh, FIBA tournament held in 2019. Give you a little bit of breakdown. The FIBA World Cup is an international basketball tournament held every four years, which features the best talent across the globe. Teams in the tournament are composed of members belonging to the International Basketball Federation, all pining for the Naismith Trophy, obviously named after the Canadian founder of basketball himself, Hell yeah. Dr. James Naismith. For many, the tournament is considered you know, equally as prestigious as the Olympics games and features you know several prominent superstars currently playing the NBA. We saw the American team that won in 2014 and how great that roster was. Um, just to provide a little clarification, following the t- 2014 FIBA championship, the Men's World Cup tournament, which was was scheduled on a new four-year cycle to avoid conflict with FIFA World Cup of Soccer, hence why we're having the tournament in 2019. Mm-hmm. Typically, it was four-year intervals, but we're doing it in 2019 this year, not to overlap with FIFA. Nonetheless, all the nations need to qualify to participate in the tournament, with the exception of China, which are acting as hosts in 2019. And basically, as I mentioned before, the qualifiers are broken down in four separate tournaments, African, Asian, European, and Cannes bracket the Americas. Looking specifically at the Americas tournament, which is composed of 16 teams, the top seven teams advanced to China in 2019. Canada, currently sitting 3-1 in the qualifiers, had advanced to the second round of the tournament, in which the tournament of 12 would be trimmed down in the summer of 2018. Um, I just wanted to have an opportunity to kind of discuss the evolution of Canada basketball, namely how great the roster will look in 2019. I'm going to throw it to you, Christian. Like, what do you think the FIBA roster could potentially look like? I know we're talking about the Olympics, but, you know, if, if every Canadian, Canadian could participate in a FIBA next year, what does our roster sort of look like? Well, I think the timing of the qualifiers is pretty much late September, I believe. Which yeah, all, all NBA participants. Like, if they do elect, want, elect to play, like we saw, you know, like in last, in 2014, I think, like Paul George, Derek Rose, um, I think Anthony Davis, a few recognizable oh, NBA players. Derek Rose. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that's, well, that right now is, I think, the number one concern of the tournament, is the timing of the tournament, because it mm-hmm. goes just before the regular season starts and a little bit into it. So it's, it's a little bit awkward. But, I mean, the ideal team would be very similar to the Olympic team, obviously. And... Now that we have a lot of young players, and that's the thing, is our 2019 FIBA basketball team, if it is, you know, any anyone similar to the top team we could have will be just like our Olympic team. And they're so young that we have players like R.J. Barrett, Wiggins, Olenek. Corey Joseph, Olenek, Tristan Thompson, Jamal Murray, Nick Stauskas, Tyler Ennis, Dylan Brooks, Dwight Powell, Tyler Lyles. Like, there's so many good young, and they're all young players. So not only are we going to see this team in 2019 at FIBA participate and do well, mm-hmm. and the Olympics, and hopefully win a medal for the first time since 1936 in Berlin. Good God. Uh, hopefully the we Hitler can actually, games? you know, build a cohesive, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of chemistry here. If we can build a chemistry with this young unit for Team Canada, they could be the same sort of core we have for the next 12 years. You Realistically, know, the next three Olympics. The, it's a good point you make about chemistry because although we have good star power, in tournament formats, 
and, and to beat the U.S., you're going to need the chemistry. Because the U.S. teams often don't have that. It's like superstar egos bumping yeah, into when, each other. Whenever the U.S. lose, it's against like a, you know, like a, like a dynamic Argentinian team. Yeah, that just moves the... Besides like, yeah. you know, ball movement, modern oh, yeah. day spacing. All that. And they're vulnerable now. Not to mention, in the under-19 FIBA tournament, R.J. Barrett is just... So he t- took over. We won gold. I think uh, Calpari was the opposing John Calpari for Kentucky was the opposing coach of the U.S. team, and he basically said it himself. One man basically took over. Everybody else played really well. <laughs> so this is the future of Canada basketball right here. This is a guy going to Duke, number one pick. Uh, he is. He was 17, and he was the MVP of the tournament. Like not to mention all these other great players. Like Andrew Wiggins is fantastic. But for me, it's R.J. Barrett that I'm looking forward to. And for the Olympics, he's going to be 20 years old in 2020. So that means we're going to have him Wiggins, for at least, at least 12 years. Him and Wiggins Olympics. sound like, and with Olenek as a passer, Thompson as a big man. Trey Jamal Lyles, Murray. Trey Lyles out there as well. Murray. It's a high-scoring team. That's, team. that's the one thing I our see. Our team sounds so – I would love uh, – oh, God. I'm just getting chill. I would love to watch that team Great play. Great head coach as well. We got Gordon Herbert doing the uh, running the team this year. Currently coaching for the Frankfurt Skyliners, but it's his third spell at the club. A guy who knows Canada basketball. A guy who's not the. Af- what happened of- to Leo? What happened to Leo and Jay Triano, man? Well, Jay Triano's the head coach. He of, just uh, said uh, Herbert Mucus was. Really? Herbert M- Gordy, the um, <laughs> staff list right now. So the 2018. National team coach, I think it's Gordy Her- Herbert this year. Oh, okay. I may be wrong on that one. Wayne's going to hear this and he's going to kill me, but I think from what I'm reading right now, it's Gordy. Wow, Wayne takes the time to listen to us. He does. He does. <laughs> Shout but out yeah, to Wayne. The team right now is pretty Sport interesting. Gallery. There's a few guys who previously played in the NBA. We have uh, you know Joel Anthony and Anthony Bennett. Um, also, you know, for the you know the Toronto 905, we were talking about earlier of Aaron Bess and Kaz Keen. Kaz Keen. Also, we have Mel- Melvin Ejim. I think he played for Iowa before. I believe he was so, like the yeah. highest scoring player. I can't, I can't remember. It was a couple of years ago. But no, the team looks pretty solid. And obviously, there's a litany of options when it comes to compiling a roster. I think the future of Canada basketball looks pretty bright at this point. Stuff, yeah, I think the only player, though, on the FIBA team right now is Brady Heslip, who has a chance of making the Olympic sort of squad. Mm-hmm. Just simply because, again, sort of the roster positions, he's a shooter. He kind of fits in well. But he, he, he was dominant in his last game against, uh, I think it was uh, the Bahamas. Did he come from Carlton? Where he, uh, I'm not sure, he's 22 points in 20 minutes. Like, he, he was dominant. He's a three-point shooter. He does really well. I know we kind of got gums a bit. Like, why should Canadians even care right now about the qualifiers, Greg? Like, what is the significance of Canada basketball evolving to this point and us being the U.S.? Like, why should Canada give a shit about the qualifiers? Just to see us beat the U.S. would mean they would get to see Jeff Van Gundy flip out on the sidelines i think that to me is the single best motivating factor well no look man like i mean canada basketball is on the rise right uh bennett's playing right mm-hmm. yep. i would love to see him back in the nba i think he got a raw deal getting it wasn't his fault that he got chosen number one right uh you know this is something where you could see the country ha- has grown with interest with basketball you see it here on the local level kids playing the game because there's more than just going for the nba a lot of these guys aren't nba players right whether they're playing in europe or they came out of different collegiate systems right there there is that opportunity there's nothing i mean i always dreamed of of representing canada for soccer i never got there i represented ontario once like the 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 feeling that you get uh, is unmatched right so this is something that a lot of young people can look 
to as well to see the growth of the game. And hopefully we all get excited for when we get our all-star team together. No, that's a great point. I also want to represent my country, not in any athletic feat, but interpretive jazz dance. That was my lifelong dream growing up. <laughs> all right, guys, let's take a very quick break, and we'll be back with our 6 to through 10. 6 through 10 mock draft. 6 through 10 mock draft. Go, Obviously, the NBA draft is not for, what, uh, four months or so? But us sport nerds like to get our mock drafts uh, super early. So uh, we did our top five a couple weeks ago. We're rounding out the top ten this week. Christian, I'm going to throw it to you. Who are your guys, six through ten? So I'll go through uh, I'll go through all all of them in order, and then we'll talk about it later. But uh, number six, I have Mohamed Bamba. And again, length there. Uh, I have Sexton. He's just, ever since that three-man unit, uh, I've loved him. Miles Bridges, I have at the eight spot. Mm. I have Jared Jackson, who you somehow took at number two. I have him at the nine spot. Talk about four, okay? Uh, four, sorry. And then I have uh, I have Kevin Knox at uh, the number ten spot. Cool. And I've started to like him a lot more. Yeah, we were talking about that I'm not going to lie, before. you were the one who kind of, who, you know, well, kind of guy, turned me around on he's him. He's a guy a couple of years ago that probably wouldn't be in the NBA. He would be labeled a tweener, but six foot nine, two hundred fifteen pounds. Currently, um, 15.4 points per game, 5.6 rebounds, shooting 35% from three. Just a very valuable skill set, sort of in the mold of Kyle Kuzma. I don't think teams really want to miss the next Kyle Kuzma or the guy that can sort of fill that multi-position role. So, yeah, I actually have Kevin Knox rounding out my top ten. I have him going ten. For myself, Marvin Bagley, number six, jack of all trades, master of none, baby. Um, you know, his size and athleticism will allow him to dominate the college ranks. Obviously, we're seeing it now. But he doesn't really have, like, a definable skill set in the professional in like in the professional game, in my opinion, he's too skinny to guard the low post. He's a big, he's, he's not an inconsistent shooter from three, and he lacks the lateral quickness. However, <laughs> when it, it comes to pure athleticism, upside, he should be in discussion for first. He's I just don't think the most athletic. Yeah, but we're talking about you're you're seeing this athleticism on the college level. I think when he transfers it to the NBA, he's going to get bullied in the low post. Like Josh Jackson kind of deal, right? Yeah, like, yeah exactly, exactly. I see him... 6'11", 245. The, the comp like, that scares me oh. is Michael Beasley, the Michael Beasley, the seven-foot-tall Michael Beasley. So that's what I see in Marvin Bagley. But, like, listen, he could mm. he, he could go number one. He could flip the script. Like the, uh, That's what I'm talking about, the depth of the top seven this year. You have him going number one. I have him going number six. So many people have him so many different places. You know, like, there's no consensus number one this year. Luka Doncic. All right, moving down the list, I have, uh, I have Bamba going seven. I think you had him at six. I had him at six, yeah. Yeah, seven feet tall, seven foot nine wingspan, nine foot six standing reach. Very light in his lower body. So uh, one of but the has play- wide shoulders and, and, and like he's gonna fill his frame nicely. Like unlike Marvin Bagley, I think Bamba has a sort of physical frame of a big center. Um and he also has the, the ability to become like the most dominant rim protector in the league, like very Rudy Gobert-esque. My concern is his ability to evolve his offensive game, especially finishing around crowds. You know, he's space to score. Um, also, like drafting a defensive specialist in the top five is not something I'd want to do as an organization. And his whole like brother thing, like he fired his brother as his like scout, or sorry, his uh, agent or something. And like there seems to be his brother's now suing Bamba. <laughs> kind of family red flags throwing out there as well. Um, I got Wendell Carter going eight, playing for Duke, currently averaging fourteen half points per game, nine point six rebounds. So just a really sort of stable low post presence. And see, big. that's who I omitted from my top ten. I don't have Wendell. So I've watched enough now of of Duke to sort of I haven't. 
haven't been impressed. See, that's a player. You say that about Bagley. I said the exact same thing about Wendell Carter. Mm. I don't see his game translating to the NBA. I think Bagley's athletic enough to do it. Wendell Carter just seems like a typical sort of big man who's athletic in college, but when it gets to the NBA, he's not going to be a special type of player. That's my thoughts on Wendell Carter. That's why I left him out of my top ten. I got Sexton going nine, six foot three point guard, 190 pounds, 18 points per game. It was definitely that one game where he played with three guys, right? That's the one game where I noticed him first. And ever since then, I mean, I looked at some of his stats, and he led the team, I think, in scoring for the U.S. Olympic team when they were under 19 or under 17. Like, he's one of those players that just scores, no matter who's out there on the team. They were good recruits on that team as well. He's always going to be that kind of player. I don't have a comp for him, but he's a natural scorer, and I think he's going to go to a team that just really needs that. He's going to be a really a team-oriented or team-defined player. I just want to throw a few more names out there. The Canaan guys in the draft this year. So obviously the number one guy for Canada is Shy Gilgis Alexander from Kentucky, a six foot six point guard, 180 yep. pounds. Currently ranked 11th on NBA Drafts Big Board. I think Javon talked about him a bit, but impressive physical size, especially for a point guard. Seven foot wingspan, 36 inch vertical leap. He's a great passer. Potential not like lockdown defender. Six foot six as a point guard. Um, very Kyle Anderson esque, I guess, on San Antonio Spurs. Maybe a, a more athletic version of Kyle Anderson. Um, other guys out there, Nikhil Alexander-Walker on Virginia. six foot five shooting guard, currently ranked 73rd on the NBA draft big board. Could be a second-round pick. six foot nine wingspan, smooth jump shooter, solid ball handling skills for a two-guard. Issues with him pertain to his physical stature. Very skinny for a six foot five shooting guard, but could involve, evolve into a competent NBA player. Also, it's kind of a streaky shot, but he also has the ability to play out the pick and roll and make spot up jumpers off the pick and roll. I think he's shooting forty three point three percent from the from that. Um, so we just with time and space, that guy could be a, a fantastic scoring option off the bench. Look, it's all guy, about R.J. Barrett next year next going year. number one. one That's going to be Canada's next number one. One more guy I'm going to throw out there is Lindell Wigginton on uh, Iowa State. Uh, six foot two, 190 pound point guard, currently ranked 81st on the NBA draft big board. He's a very athletic point guard who can play above the rim. Has impressive speed in the closeout. Very similar to, like a poor man's Eric Bledsoe when it comes to like, his pure raw athleticism, especially coming out of college. You saw that Bledsoe coming out of Kentucky. Several concerns when it comes to his jump shot, specifically his consistency of his mechanics. He kind of has, you know, like a very. It doesn't really go have the, has the same sort of like shot mechanics every single time he shoots a ball. But keep in mind, like he's shooting 44% from the three per five attempts per game. So he is getting the ball in the basket, but just that would be the only cause for concern. Well, he's think, coming off two really good games. Attempts. He had 29 points, I think, a couple games ago and 20 the other day. Do you guys see this draft year as more talented, more upside than last year? Because if you remember, everyone was hyping up this past draft class. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the two top two picks from last year and they've just flopped i mean marco Fultz hasn't i mean you could say he's he's injury there's something weird there lonzo ball really hasn't lived up you could say tatum has but i look at josh jackson that's another guy that didn't really pan out he's playing some great basketball within the last month and a half yeah i i i just thought that he's such a good athlete and he's on a team that's you know really rebuilding that he'd get more play, mm-hmm. right? Dar- Darren Fox has been uh, Malik Monk, okay. Frank Malik Nilekina. Monk's though, he, Malik Monk flopped. Nilakina hasn't, I mean, he's not adjusted well to Tatum's the NBA game. Tatum's the face of the earth over the last... Yeah, Tatum, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. do you see this group as um, sort of being better than advertised as opposed to last year's group, which was, which was advertised so high, but I mean, really, they haven't shown it this year. I think last year's draft was deeper, but I think there's more upside in the top five in this draft. Absolutely. And I think the top ten, if you have a top ten pick this year, 
you're going to get a good player. You're going to get. I would a, say top a definitely seven. Good I would player. say top seven. There's seven guys in the draft. And then outside like, of that, it could it, the, the balls. I mean, anyone like whoever drafts eighth, it could be anybody. You know, like I think it's fair to say what Doncic, Bagley, Aiden, Porter, Bamba. Who am I missing? Colin, Trey Young. You know, like the, the seven, six, seven guys out there who are locks. I Miles think. Bridges, yeah. Kevin Knox, Doncic, Jared Jackson man. Jr. Well, like, I, I'm surprised. <laughs> a, I think it's good, man. I think this draft's really, really good. I think yeah. there's going to be a couple superstars, but more like. Almost the opposite. Of what you're, I think there's gonna be a lot of role, a lot of really, really good players. Do you see? So let's just say the top. Like do Miles you Bridges see, is a perfect example. Hey, do oh. you see a Ben Simmons? You know how Ben Simmons. You know, you know, you look at him and you're like, okay, this guy is. He's no, an. No, imp- every, he is. He is going to be a perennial. Draft, so I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I do. I've, honestly, from what I've heard, not just from Brandon, but Luka Doncic is that guy. He, that's what I mean. Like, is there because last year we thought Markel Fultz was going to be or Lonzo Ball. Yeah. Lonzo Ball isn't going to be that guy. He could be a really good point guard in the NBA. Lonzo Ball pa- played really well, but he's not like especially before his injury. But he's not. He's not a LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony draft class player. I don't think he will be. I think if Luka, like I think Luka Doncic like, was in last year's draft, he would be in conversation to go number one. Um, Again, Marvin Bagley for me. That's the guy. That's the guy, so, eh? That's my guy. I mean, that's, that's why point, I have him number though. one. That's you think he has all-time great written on him? That's where I'm at with Bagley. I have him going six, but in my opinion, when it comes to just upside and just raw talent, I think combining both drafts last year and this year, I think Bagley has the highest upside in comparison to anyone in both those drafts. I think the highest upside, though, in this draft is, is Aiton. No. no I think- Aiton could be Shaq. Like DeAndre, he's massive, yeah. He, he he he's huge. He's strong. He's like you said. He's been dominant since high school. But he's not he's a modern NBA, NBA center. But that's what I mean. Like he could be like a like a Shaq type of like yeah. player that still that Bagley just changes can, it. But Bagley can yeah. get Kevin Durant, or Bagley can get Michael Beasley. I know, man. I, I this is why I'm saying this. No one predicted Donovan Mitchell. We haven't even talked about right? Michael. No Porter. one predicted except for Brandon because Brandon <laughs> is scary good like that, right? Michael Porter Jr. No one's really even you know talking about him Donovan either. Mitchell, like I remember him coming out of the draft, and I thought his upside was going to be dependent on like his ability to guard multiple positions, especially the point guard, shooting guard. I didn't really see his offensive game this polished. Like I'm so shocked he's become you know even conversation beaver. Because so it was a fluke. So young, then. they're still developing, right? <laughs> so it was a fluke that you picked him. But this is yeah. this is part of the problem we talked about earlier with the NCAA. If you do give them a few more years and find a place that they can play and develop, you'll get more ready products. And you'll get your drafting guys. You know more what you're getting, as opposed to players that you're drafting on upside alone. And people, you know, they grow at different rates and right at different times. Yeah, but so when would they get drafted then? Like it used to be in the NBA that you get drafted between like 22 and 24, similar to uh, like hockey and yeah, football. So what would they be doing in between those years? Playing development, playing G. They're still playing they pro. They can't play in the G League because those are teams that belong to NBA teams. You have to be drafted to play in the right. Yeah, I know. You still get drafted, but you don't make the immediate jump to the NBA. This is this was LeBron's. This was LeBron's idea. The baseball sort of style. Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think if you're good, I mean, yeah. Well, if mean, you're good enough, yeah. But you don't have to take guys on and, and put them in one of your 12-man roster spots that aren't ready yet. And then you get the Kwame Browns of the world. Draft an 18-year-old based on potential, flops out by 30 because all the pressure. Wouldn't it be great, though, if they could just get an education instead of being in the G League and just like... No, but a guy that good, a guy that's going to go to the NBA, it's not... It, He's not. That's not his talent. But that's not majority of the players, right? Yes, this is majority true. Majority of the players are the ones that don't get there. If, the, if a guy has enough talent, he's going to the NBA right away. As soon Education as he, as soon as should he be can. free, man. Oh, not in America. 
Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're actually going to do an interview, fingers crossed, with uh, assistant coach of the Ryerson uh, basketball team, Adil Saibzada. Oh. We'll be joined by Javon Bigard as well. Javon! Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and now Stitcher. Tune in. Thanks, guys. Peace out, D-Dot. Woo!